Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we are discussing Season 6, Episode 2, A Few Good Women. And why don't you just launch into it, David? Supergirl wakes and is tormented by phantoms, but is saved by her dad. It's a small phantom zone after all. Her dad has given up hope, but she talks him into helping her escape. They see phantoms go through a portal and plan to get themselves their own phantom. The super friends try to break into the phantom zone with the help of the friendly alien vampire Silas. Dreamer feels she's failing at interpreting her dream visions, but Brainy only offers her a pep talk. John pushes way too hard and Alex is way too optimistic, but after letting some phantoms loose briefly, they reset their expectations. The case against Lex is a single proclamation from Eve, but apparently Lex destroys this by saying Eve is a rejected bitter woman. Lena didn't want to get involved, rejecting Andrea's manipulative interview request, but she tries to save the case against Lex. Lena beautifully manipulates Lex into a corner, nearly admitting his guilt, but the jury still finds him not guilty. Lex comes to the conclusion that he really is that great. <laughs> Everyone is really unhappy about Lex, but at least Lena and Andrea reconcile. Oh, and Silas seemed to have a bit of phantom in him, possibly allowing the phantoms to portal to Earth. I'm rather surprised, but then again, not all that surprised, that they dealt with the trial in one episode. I really was expecting him to be languishing for a little while longer. But I guess they had a point they wanted to make, or they just didn't want to let him be off stage for that long. So he's front and center again, and likely will be for at least the rest of the mid-season. Well, we're not really doing mid-seasons, are we? Are we doing all 20 episodes in a row? <laughs> Who knows these days? Who knows? <laughs> we'll see what the uh, production release order actually looks like. Indeed. This is probably the most truncated, shortened trial I have ever seen on TV. I was quite amazed by the speed of which they tried to run through this trial. It was, uh, wow. They could have done an entire episode on this trial, but no, it is kind of the C-plot. Yes, um, impressively, breathtakingly brief. I believe all of Eve's testimony and presumably, well, there was just the counter-argument. There wasn't any counter-testimony. All of Eve's testimony appeared to be done in one day, some trial of the century this is. If not one line. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> There's an implication that she had been talking for a while before they cut to her. I certainly hope so. <laughs> and then uh, Lena's testimony was also, well, she certainly wore the same outfit for all of it. I would assume it was done in an afternoon, maybe even in an hour. Yep. <laughs> Right. Lex really does say, basically, these women are just crazy. I'm me. And if you have power, you have to have the guts to use it to save people. It's It sounds very, very power trippy. Uh, but the jury apparently loves a good, confident, powerful man who is not afraid to say that women are leeches and he is great and everyone should just bow down to him because that's basically what he says. I loved Lena's smirk because, yes, you're right, she absolutely manipulated him into exposing himself in all his megalomaniac <laughs> intensity, and yet... I was expecting Lex to maybe have bribed some of the jury, but you saw the jury panels in technology boxes. I don't know why he gets to see them, but there they were. So maybe that was in real life for uh, Doyleist reasons for COVID. Uh, in show terms, it could be for their own security, so he couldn't threaten them or bribe them, although... 
Otis as security guard in the very courtroom (laughs) (laughs) says, you know, we're ready for the big explosion, kablooey, judge, jury, and executioner. Although I guess the latter part is metaphorical, or maybe he's the executioner. So yeah, Lex talks his way into being declared innocent, or at least acquitted. I dislike what they did to Eve. That's ridiculous. I really like how Lena manipulates him. I really like how far he goes, and he says, I didn't do this, but if I did, could you blame me? Wouldn't you do this too? (laughs) Absolutely out there. It was great. And Lena's happy because there's no reasonable answer other than to say he's guilty after this, Mm -hmm. to which I am assuming Lillian got to them. Maybe. Either that or there is still some I love Lexi going around. Mm. There has to be something. Mm -hmm. There has to be a reason because Lena's plan is good and Lex's behavior is ridiculous. So I'm going to assume there is something going on and Lex is just so pleased with himself that basically he's realized I can just be a Trumpy and horrible person and people will still love me for it. But in the conversation when they're about to play chess with Lillian, I think she is being shown to have some other opinions as to maybe how that happened. So I'm going to operate currently on the assumption that Lillian did get to the jury in some fashion. Yeah, Lillian is so interesting. She wants to sell all her stock to Lena so that Lena will be in charge. I guess Lena turns her down because she thinks the stock is going to go down. I'm not really sure what Lena does own right now. The show implies, and I don't know if they've said it, but it certainly implies that the shares are actually held three ways. Mm-hmm. I would interpret that Lena and Lillian and Lex all have one third of LexCorp. Mm-hmm. And therefore, yeah. Lillian is saying Lex is a loose cannon. Here, I'm going to bribe Lena to be quiet and give her or sell her, not give her, of course, sell her right. <laughs> the third, which would then give Lena majority. But I don't know whether or not that then would not go through. Like, I would assume assume when Lena decided to go through with testifying, that went off the table right away because it was also a bribe. Yeah, I do wonder why Lillian is so fanatical about protecting the good name of the Luthers, given that she's not even one by blood herself. But I guess she sold her soul a long time ago to become a Luther, and it's all she has now. It's an interesting question as well with her relationship with Lena. It's a bit a bit strange, but clearly they have Lillian as being the alien-hating side, which is with Lex. Mm, mm-hmm. There's clearly some camaraderie there. Right. And, and maybe that's the, the stronger interconnect. But Lillian hasn't really been playing that. But we also have to remember that Lillian is clean in this universe post-crisis. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's, it's really hard interpreting what we know of Lillian to what the show is now presenting Lillian. That's true. This Lillian has never been in prison. Hmm. This Lillian has changed almost the most of almost any of the characters Mm -hmm. that we have to deal with. It's an odd one, but I think I like how Lillian is basically trying to figure out what side's going to win and what side will give her the most power and position. That absolutely seems to be what she's doing. And it changes over the course of the episode. Yep. But it's just a question of, well, did she make that happen? Yeah, it's funny that Lex doesn't seem to hold any grudge against her for what she's been up to, although he did quite strongly reject the plea deal that she had negotiated for him. But he presumably doesn't know everything that she has been up to. Well, yes, because she's actually good at hiding. (laughs) And he, he isn't. Right. Clearly, she's trying to throw him under the bus to a degree. 
because of his failure in the previous plot. Yeah, I was trying to decide if she actually wanted him to get under the bus and stay there, or if she just was that concerned about him failing and tarnishing the Luther name. It kind of feels like... She's more on his side than on Lena's and just tries to keep Lena as a reserve. I think she really would like a mix of these two kids. She would like Lena's control and Lex's evilness. Mm-hmm. I think it, it just annoys her that these attributes are split among these two children. Yeah, but on the other hand, if she can keep playing them off against each other, she has more power than if one of them totally wins over the other one. Exactly. And I expect that will continue. Okay. Side note, I have to hand it to Lex. He is correct about CatCo. Not that William (laughs) did a hit job on Lex because he only printed the truth, but that William's story showed up Lex for what he had been doing. And then they assigned the same reporter to do the trial. And as it turned out, nobody else was covering it, even though Andrea said she wanted CatCo to be the one-stop place for people to go to get their news about this trial. It's pretty funny. We had the question of how is the journalism going to look? And here we get the the power of the press. Oh, boy. And apparently Andrea's definition of beacon of investigative journalism equates to personal revenge vendettas. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. That's all we're seeing Andrea do. Right. Basically, she is out to get Lex and okay, well, no one ever said she was particularly good at the journalism stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure she's even out to get Lex so much as she's out to get the story. She tells the reporters, although only one of them ends up going there, do whatever it takes to get interviews with the judge, the prosecutor, the jury. And definitely for the reporter to talk to the jury before the trial would have been possibly enough to get the whole trial thrown out. Yes, absolutely ridiculous. Yes, absolutely ridiculous. And I was amused that she said, do whatever it takes to get the interviews. I'll pay your bail. Bail would be the least of the concerns. (laughs) (laughs) How about I'll pay your trial costs and I'll support your family while you're in jail. (laughs) It's a little out there. And of course, it ends with Andrea sending them off again to find me my next Lexpose. Right, right. (laughs) You're right. She does definitely wants Lex to get caught again because she assumes he'll do something wrong but also just because she wants him to get caught but also Lex's news uh, and will remain news even more so now. The failing of the VR industry basically is on Lex at the moment from her perspective. Right. That's what killed Obsidian North is basically Lex. Mm -hmm. Yes because he corrupted her pure good invention. Yeah. (laughs) It's an interesting way they're pivoting Andrea. I have no idea where they're going with her and she's still a Karata so she can still go off and hide in shadows and do whatever she wants as well. So it's an interesting pairing of abilities and positions, which she just sort of fills whatever the writer wants her to do. Right. Okay. So speaking of Okarada and hiding in shadows, they don't go to her for any help with this Phantom Zone. Jean finds out from his brother that this alien faux vampire Silas has been to the Phantom Zone because he was trying to break his falsely imprisoned husband out of the Phantom Zone. So there's that whole thing. I have a lot to say about the team. From the planet Transylvania. Yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Is that in the comics, David? Because it was so cheesy. I'm so scared to looking it up. (laughs) 
I'm pretty sure I could probably find it in the comics somewhere. I don't know. We'll see. I'll look afterwards. <laughs> okay, so I have a lot to say about the team dynamics, but first with Silas. He is rightly scared of trying to break into the Phantom Zone, and Alex assures him pretty unjustifiably <laughs> that they will keep him safe. <laughs> They won't let the phantoms get him. And okay, so they protect him in the fight, although they're protecting everybody, not him particularly. But yeah, then he's back in his apparently not-so-lonely apartment since there are other people living with him or with access who have access to his blood bank blood in the fridge, which, uh... That was fun. Reminds me of some other vampire shows I've seen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like Forever Night and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, so there he is, upset that other people have been drinking his personal Oneg stash, and he has to settle for something else, who knows what. And he calls Jean, but it's too late because a phantom assembles itself out of his mouth, shadows, essence, and then grabs him and takes him away. So, yes, he was right to be scared. Hopefully, we'll see him again. Hopefully, uh, he'll get rescued. There was a wild transition there at the end, because we see the phantom comes out of him, and then the camera zooms in on the phantom, rotates around the phantom, and then we are watching a different phantom in the phantom zone, or maybe it's the same phantom that blew into him, who knows, going through some portal. Like, the, the implication is some type of portal thing that the phantom are doing in the phantom zone directly relates to what was going on with that phantom with Silas. But we don't actually know what the connection is. Right. And it's not clear yet whether the phantoms can just create a portal on a whim or if they just know where a portal is going to pop up and make their way there in time. I guess we'll find out. I, I would overly interpret this as the phantoms split themselves into two partially and then can portal to the other's half part of themselves that they deposited into Silas. Hmm. Therefore, the phantoms can't get out of the phantom zone except that our heroes, of course, have allowed this, yes. which means everything the phantoms do is on on the heroes. I really liked Silas in this. Yes. I think he's certainly the most valuable player in this episode. Mm -hmm. I think that the actor, Claude Knowlton, I think does a pretty great job of that role. And it's nice to see the guest actor into in for an episode and they just do a really good job. And I think I really liked that performance. I really don't understand how his significant other, Owen, was sentenced for six months in the Phantom Zone. I thought the Phantom Zone was more of a permanent thing. That's what I thought too. Months? That seemed odd. It does, because if you sentence someone to the Phantom Zone, they're probably just going to go insane pretty soon. That seems to be the presumption of what will happen to most people. And so, right, it just wouldn't work for a temporary sentence. A, because, I mean, you're t sentencing to someone to lifetime permanent insanity, possibly, if you do that. And B, if you put them in the Phantom Zone, how are you going to get them out? I mean, I'm not aware of any standard mechanism for... <laughs> for the Kryptonians to extract someone. The impression I've had historically is Superman could use the Phantom Zone projector to view into the Phantom Zone, mm. then find someone and then pull them out. Okay. But they're implying that they don't have a Phantom Zone projector that can do that or who knows what. There's also the problem where apparently replacing the multiverse in Crisis also means that there are now a infinite number of Phantom Zones, which just complicates matters even more, of course. Right. They didn't know that when they sentenced 
uh, Owen to his six-month sentence, though. We don't know how long ago that was, also. Right, I assumed that this all happened before Crisis. Could have happened. His sentencing, his quests, all of that, I had assumed. It could have happened before Krypton exploded. Mm-hmm. It's a little hard to tell. Time is a little messy here. <laughs> The other thing that I've lost track of a little bit is the connection between Fort Ross, which is the ship that came out of the Phantom Zone, right. crashed on Earth, and then Supergirl picked it up and threw it back into space. Yeah. And that was, I think, either in the Phantom Zone or near it. And then Kara says something about it being connected to a portal. But I don't know how that helps them because I don't think it's in the Phantom Zone anymore. Or have I entirely forgotten what we last saw of Fort Ross? Okay. Do we need to care? <laughs> well, we can't care because it was pre-crisis. So who Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, we got nothing. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, the super friends behave very, very short-sightedly in numerous ways in this episode. And I guess I'm ready to start talking about that. Okay, let's get into uh, the, the team dynamics here. The character assassination of Alex team dynamics. <laughs> the highly unsatisfactory team dynamics. Absolutely. Alex is just completely irrational. It's one thing to be optimistic. It's another thing to say, we're going to get her back tonight, so I better order a bunch of pot stickers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy. Okay, the first thing is that none of the super friends are even watching the trial of Lex Luthor, whom Kara gave her existence. You know, she sacrificed herself to save the people of Earth, but also to get Lex Luthor contained, and they're not even watching the trial that ends up letting him go free again. Won't that be a lovely surprise for Kara if she gets back to this Earth? Yep. Okay, so they don't know what tortures Kara is undergoing in the Phantom Zone. So, okay, it is a matter of urgency, but given that the trial apparently only lasted one day... (laughs) (laughs) Trial of the century. (laughs) They couldn't, you know, turn on the news once in a while and see what's happening. They couldn't testify against Lex. None of them could go testify against him. Just highly unsatisfactory. And I don't see the need for turning them this obsessive, unless just to have the arc of, oh, they realized they were obsessing. And Jean turning into a totally impulsive, emotional, who needs planning? Let's just rush in there. And McGann calls him on it, and he brushes her aside. Very politely. I hear your wisdom, Magan, and I'm going to completely ignore it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was really unhappy with all of them, but mostly with Jean and Alex. Yeah, character assassination, like you said. It'd be interesting to know the actual time frame in show over this episode. Like, how long was this episode? It presumably took them a little while to build the gate, but they kind of imply a day. Yeah. But they could have done this over a week or a month, and they could have just played it out longer. It wouldn't have hurt, but it might have just taken different editing. I don't know. It, it was just, it's bizarre how contracted it is. Presumably, it would have taken Jean a little time to go visit his brother Mal and have Mal remember Silas, this sort of vampire that might be able to help you, and then to figure out when Silas was next going to try to go rob a blood bank, which, you know, apparently that job took some planning because that was the most futuristic high-tech blood bank I've ever seen. So they took some time to get into that situation and set it up. And then, like you say, to build the portal, presumably they had to assemble some materials for that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
They just needed the, this is like watching The Flash, where what do you do when the hero always causes the next season's disaster, Mm. which then the hero needs to fix, causing the next season's disaster. Mm -hmm. And this feels that way, that they had to do this mistake to let phantoms free on Earth, which to be fair, might be what allows Carr to get home. But still, there's going to be phantoms on Earth doing bad things, and it's all their fault. And it's like, great. Yep. I think the episode was a little crueler to Alex because they give the climax where John says, Alex, wait. And Alex says, I'm not going to give up on Kara. And John says, I'm not going to lose you too, as the culmination of their crazy behavior. And yeah, it was hard. It was just kind of hard to watch. Mm -hmm. We'll see if at least we'll get over that. Now that they've created the problem, which that behavior started, we don't have to have them act that way anymore. Hopefully. I want to return to the pot sticker scene, but also before we get there, uh, also want to talk about the other members of the team, yep. Brainy and Nia. So Brainy is pushing Nia to train herself to be able to find Kara. And the way to do that would be to interpret dreams, I would think, and maybe read about what dreams mean and dream psychology and stuff like that. But Brainy's version of training is to create a facsimile of what he thinks the Phantom Zone will look like, and yell at Nia. (laughs) (laughs) And then tell her that he believes in her and she's going to save the team. Way to (laughs) pile the pressure on. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't entirely think Brainy is in the wrong here, because what he is trying to impress and give Nia the opportunity to train under is under pressure. Okay. The whole problem is these phantoms are going to be in get in your head that's going to be super high pressure and can Nia use her powers in that situation? Yeah, but the thing is, he really needs to go more basic than that. Yes. Because like she says, she, she doesn't have her mother and sister to help her interpret dreams, which is a nice callback to how her character started. But she hasn't been doing any training on her own she hasn't been like studying psychology or anything like that and training someone to do something under pressure should not be undertaken until they have the basic skill down absolutely and it's just a very flawed method of training (laughs) this goes back actually to previous seasons where we were discussing brainy and nia Mm. saying that because brainy had experience with many generations into the future now Mm -hmm. he had experienced the interpretation of these dreams and we were hoping okay well when are we going to get a scene where brainy does a lot of work to help nia do interpretation of her dream visions and we really wanted that scene and really we never got it i mean i guess it wouldn't make a great television episode to see him talking to her about dreams but we could have a short scene where it's implied that they've been working on this for a while and the implication here is that they've done nothing nothing along those lines nothing what i think it deserves is a brainy nia vision quest episode i think you should have an episode with these two characters Mm -hmm. where they really get deep into it and you can have an episode that is really out there that would be great i would love it i don't know if it's going to happen it probably won't but it'd be nice if that is what happened because i agree that is necessary nia says it's necessary we've said it was necessary last season Mm -hmm. we're all in agreement i'm just saying given that that's necessary the training that brainy was proposing also has value it just isn't sufficient And it should come later. And now would be a perfect time for a Vision Quest episode when in episode time back in the fall when Benoist was pregnant. That would be a perfect time to have a Brainy Nia episode while Kara is mainly off screen. Yeah, exactly. And maybe 
they'll do this now. Maybe they'll leave Kara and her dad off screen for the next couple of episodes. I kind of think they won't do it that way because that's not the way they have been doing it, but I think it's what they should do. And yeah, well, you and I both love the side characters and we'd love to see them get a little more attention as well as just, you know, being present on screen. And I'm a bit frustrated if they waste this opportunity. We'll see. I think Kara is only going to be stuck there for another episode or two, probably at most. Mm. If they set, if they make it longer, I'll be impressed, but it seems unlikely because they've already, at the end of this episode, been presented with a possible path forward to get out. Yeah. And it seems likely maybe by the end of the next episode, they will have gotten out. That's most likely. But we'll see. They have a bunch more episodes to go this season, and having episodes with smaller number of cast... There's a good reason for that. Mm. So hopefully they'll take advantage of that. Maybe. One other point about the Super Friends. Yeah. We see their very nice little secondary set to the hideout set, which basically is a big living room with a set of chairs around a table. <laughs> but the one thing I also want to point out is they did think well enough to put a karaoke machine on the side of that room. <laughs> this team is ready to fight crime. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, another team thing going back to Alex and the pot stickers. So it is apparent that at this point, Alex has told Kelly about Kara's Supergirl identity, which as of last episode was not the case. I think it would have been good to actually show that. I really don't think they need to be rushing all this as they have been. But okay, so Kelly apparently is on board with it and not feeling at all hurt that the truth was hidden from her for, I guess they've only been involved for a few months. Have they been living with each other? I don't think she's moved in. Okay. I, I can't say again that I've forgotten that Kelly doesn't know about Supergirl and Kara, but maybe now she does, so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty clear from this episode. Alex is talking anguishedly about getting Kara back, and Kelly didn't say, why do you care so much about Supergirl being stuck in the Phantom Zone? It's, well, I know you have to do this to get Kara, your sister, out. So yeah, she definitely knows. Okay, so I also wanted to talk a little bit about things said between Kara and her dad, whose name I didn't catch. Presumably it's something else. <laughs> First of all, Supergirl says that Argo survived because of his sacrifice. So it's canon now that uh, Argo survived the explosion on Krypton. I guess we're still not absolutely sure it made it through Crisis. <sighs> I guess we'll find out when they need to go there. I'm going to assume assume it did because <laughs> that's where Lois was, but bringing in that show does not really help any of the theories, so whatever. No. <laughs> All right. The other thing I was wondering, is that really her dad or is it a phantom himself? You know, how has he been surviving? What has he been eating? Time is technically not passing. Like the phantom zone is this place where you experience forever torment. It basically is a hell. But you sleep and you wake up. But you don't seem to age. So it's a weird weird place. Yeah, speaking of not aging, he looks like he's 35 at most. Well, what do you do, Kryptonians? <laughs> He's been stuck in there for that amount of time, and he's probably the same age, effectively, as when he went in. So I think there's enough lanterns and oddities with the Phantom Zone that they can really get away with anything they want. Because Kara also didn't age for the decade she was sort of stuck there on the outskirts of the Phantom Zone before showing up on Earth. Because that's how she got to Earth without aging either. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and just to confirm, thank you, Google, Kara Zorel's father is in fact just named 
Zorel. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> I got nothing. But I agree. It's a good question as to whether he is who he seems. I would suspect that he is not a phantom, but I would also suspect that he is far more mentally damaged by being in the phantom zone than we've been presented. I would agree with that. The absolute least is that he's been turned into a defeatist and you should just stay here in the cave with me where it's safe. But yeah, he could be far more damaged than that, actually. I expect that something worse will happen because of the the damage that the phantom zone has done to him going forward. I don't know how many episodes we will see Zorel and time will tell. There's a lot of questions about the pacing in this episode, and a lot of it's going to come down to, well, there's 18 episodes. How much plot are they actually trying to cram into those 18 episodes? And we just don't know yet. I thought it was 20, but okay. 18 left. You're 18 left. Okay. Certainly from the pacing of this episode, it seems like they are planning to get through a whole lot of plot this year. Sometimes some of their pacing has been slow, but boy, this episode really rushed through a lot of stuff. Okay, they are conveying the urgency of Alex and Jean, but I still feel like they rushed through a lot that they could have taken a little more time with, and maybe we'll get a little more time later. Without a doubt, this is really the season premiere episode. Yes. So this is the episode where they really do need to to do the setup for what at least the half of the plot or the entire plot of the season is going to look like. There was a lot set up to do, so a bunch of time needed to get used for that purpose. Mm -hmm. There was one other thing I wanted to briefly mention about the Super Friends, which is in the last podcast, I was saying that we had not yet seen the consequences of the binding between Jean and Megan, and in this episode, uh-huh. we get nothing. Yeah, they made this big deal about opening themselves up and seeing each other for who they truly are and stuff, and yeah, I guess they uh, must be pretty much the same on the inside is the outside because it (laughs) sure didn't have any consequences. (laughs) I would suspect because of this wild arc they gave John and Alex in this episode, there just wasn't time and it would have muddled it too much. So I expect we'll be dealing with that in a later episode. It's just been compartmentalized out of this episode, which seems a little strange, but what do you do? Mm -hmm. That's all that struck me about this episode. Yep. No, it was an interesting fun ride. There's a lot going on and a bit of it is just so unexplainable that a lot of it would need to keep watching to see how they're really going to play it out. And hopefully there's a bit less character assassination going on. And also we'll see how COVID has impacted the filming of the later episodes because we certainly see how it's impacted Mm -hmm. some of this episode. Right. It definitely was not a boring episode. It was frustrating because some of what they were doing with the plots and the characters on it. But yeah, I'm as always curious to see where they're going to go next with this. Any show where we get to see Lena manipulating Lex, I'm up for watching more of. Oh, yeah, definitely. It really was beautiful what she did. And I loved her smirk when she got him to (laughs) really expose himself in all his... All his crazy. All of his glorious craziness. Yes. Uh, I was also interested in her presentation this episode. She just had long straight hair, nothing done to it, a purple dress. She seemed almost to be in mourning. It certainly didn't seem like a power suit. And I don't know if that was intentional, if they're trying to say something about her mood or if she's just wearing slightly more comfortable clothing now that she's not being a CEO anymore or if it means anything maybe I'm just reading too much into it I I really don't know we just don't quite know what Lena's going to be up to for the rest of the season right she'll probably be trying to take Lex down 
she will be, but putting myself in her shoes, I don't know where I'd go because she's exposed him. She's told the truth about him until she actually gets him on videotape saying, I am going to destroy the world because I hold it in contempt. <laughs> it's hard to see how she could be any more convincing to a jury or, or whatever. But I'm pretty sure she'll keep trying. So I will be interested to see what she also does. Yep, yep. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you for another fun conversation. Happy to be here. I'd like to thank our listeners, and I'd like to thank The Incomparable for hosting us. If you want to continue the discussion with us, you can go to The Incomparable's member Slack, or you can add us on Twitter at SG Supercast, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.